this song redeems last week's song, but let me just, how many of you knew the song? Just shout it out if you knew it. Endless Love. That's right. Now, how many of you know the artist? Just shout that out as well. A lot quieter. Well, okay. All right. See, yes, it, this version was Luther Vandross and Mariah Carey, and I made a joke in the first service. I've been waiting since the day I got married. That was my wife that was singing for her to sing Mariah Carey to me, and it took a Sunday morning for this to happen. No, I'm just kidding. I always like to say this. If you are new here, you are still in the right place. You're in church, okay? We're just in a series called Love Songs, and uh, this is week four of this series on marriage and relationships, and I've been telling you that next week, or it's coming, I'm telling you today, it's next week, where we're going to answer many of your questions that you've been submitting on relationships and marriages, maybe that we haven't gotten a chance to go to or to answer yet. And so if you have a question, you can submit them today, maybe even up till Tuesday, but uh, you can text the word love songs, all one word to the number on the screen here, 903-200-3808, or you can just scan that little QR code and it will pop open a form and you can fill it out and let us know, or you can just message us on social media, but we're going to try to get to as many of those as possible next week, but this week I'm going to continue in this series. And, you know, I tell people why we do this series, why we use love songs is because oftentimes we're looking to the culture, we're looking to media, we're looking to love songs to tell us how to do love, how to do relationships. And if you look to the culture to tell you how to do a relationship or how to have a marriage, then you're looking to a broken system and you're going to end up with the same results that they get, which are broken results, right? The scripture says in, in Proverbs 14, 12, that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it's the way of death. 
It's the same in our relationships. If we look to the culture for how they're doing things, I promise you that in the end, your relationship will end in a death of some sort because it is a broken way to do things. It's not just wrong, it leads to death. And so the reason we use love songs is because oftentimes they're not telling us the right way to have a relationship. I would not uh, counsel you to take your advice from the love songs even that we have sung in this series, okay? The first one, if you've been with us for any length of time, the first one we did uh, was You're the One That I Want. We started from Greece, right? It was a happy song. Everybody was feeling it. And then I was like, hey, you're not supposed to be led by your feelings. I don't care if you're getting chills and they're multiplying. That's not the way to have a relationship, right? And we talked about how your purpose and your completion is found in God, not another person, before marriage and after marriage, by the way. And then it went real sad, and we sang a song called, You Don't Bring Me Flowers. And it was all about what to do if you find yourself in a stale place in your relationship. If the love has grown cold, what to do? Not just in your marriage relationship, but also in your relationship with Jesus. So if you missed those, go back and listen. And then last week, my wife and I had the privilege of having her join me. And we talked about how to work through conflict, how to fight well if you would, because you're going to argue, you're going to have some disagreements because you're human and you're different. So the question isn't, will you have a disagreement in your marriage? It's how will you handle those disagreements? So we, last week we talked about how to fight well, and this week obviously it's endless love. But if you listen to love songs, especially growing up in the 80s and the 90s like I did with some R&B, it is really hard to find a love song about lasting love. Most of them are not about a long-term relationship of some sort. They're not about a marriage that lasts. Most of them are about, about a breakup or like, girl, why are you leaving me? Why do you keep doing this to me? I can change, I promise. Please come back to me. Baby, don't go. I mean, there's songs like that, right? If you listen, at least to boys, to men, a lot of them are like that. <laughs> They're most about breakups and stuff. So it's hard to find a lasting love song, but... Here's one, and, I, and again, I tell you all this every time I decide to sing something. I'm not singing this for me. I'm singing it for you. So join me in this if you know it. Don't leave me hanging out here. Here's one of them. This is an older song I had to go to. All right, but it goes like this. It goes, this will be an everlasting love. Thank you. Okay, whoever sings the loudest is where I'm going to preach. Okay, so this side, this side's winning right now. You can redeem yourself in just a second. Who knows the song? Who is it? Uh, Whitney Houston. No, I'm so sorry. And you know, just shout it out. Natalie Cole. Natalie Cole. That's right. The daughter of the great Nat King Cole. This will be an everlasting love, right? This is the kind of love everybody wants. The one we've all been waiting for, it says, right? But if you listen, like I said, to some love songs that sound like they're a song that should be about an everlasting love, they're not. Like uh, Whitney Houston does sing a song that I'm not going to even try to sing but it's called, And I Will Always Love You. You all know that song, right? Come on, sing it. Oh, you sing it, and I'll, I'll join you. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. Um, I can't even try, because, I mean, some people would just leave. But uh, dogs would come in and join us. But, but that song is not about, I will always love you because we're in this great love relationship. If you listen to the words, it's all about how you're gone now, I hope you have a great life, and I wish you the best, and, but I'm still going to always love you, even though we're not together anymore. That's a sad kind of love, right? Then there's the other side of it, where it's not even about a lasting love, it's about the pain of love. Maybe you know this one, again, 80s and 90s, so 
This is your chance over here to redeem yourself. But it goes like this. What is love? Baby, Baby, don't hurt me. Okay. All right. Some of y'all bouncing your heads. You know, I see you. But here's two pictures. This will be an everlasting love. And what is love even? Baby, don't hurt me anymore. Why, Why is that the picture? Because even when it comes to marriage, marriage can be a great blessing or it can be a great burden. It can bring great pleasure or it can bring great pain to your life, right? Even the Bible talks about this. Look at Proverbs 18, 22. It says, he who finds a, a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. My wife was a good addition to my life. She is my favor from God in my life, right? I mean, some men should be like, amen, that's my wife. You know, that's awfully quiet here. I'm giving you chances, men. Men, don't raise your hand on this one. A few chapters later, though, the same book, Proverbs, in 2715, says a quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. No amens there, men. I'm just saving you some heartache later. But this is the picture of great pleasure and favor and great pain. Now, ladies, I'm not picking on you, okay? I'm an equal opportunist here. So... If a woman would have written the Proverbs, it would have read differently. It would have said, you know, she who finds a godly husband obtains favor from the Lord. But the second one would have said something like a lazy husband who does nothing and sits around all day very selfishly will be a pain to live with. That is like another Proverbs translation you could have used, right? It's true on both accounts, but but the picture is it is a blessing or it can be a burden. And the reason that I think it's more of a burden for many people is so many people are just unprepared for marriage when they enter into it. That they're not prepared for what it really means. They're not prepared for what it's really going to take. In fact, it's easier to get a driver's, I mean a marriage license than a driver's license. Think about that. You can just go in and, and pay a fee and get a marriage license and get married just like that. But if you want to drive on the road, You have to take a bunch of tests. You got to study, right? You got to get a bunch of hours in of driving. Then you have to pass the driving test. Then you have to watch a video of the horrors that happen if you don't navigate this vehicle well and the danger you're going to cause to everyone around you because this could cause damage to other people. But we don't do that when it comes to marriage. Yet, we should be watching some horror videos on marriage of... (laughs) What damage it's going to cause to people around you if you don't navigate this relationship well. You should have to pass some tests. Most people aren't prepared. So if you want to get married here and you ask one of our pastors to officiate your wedding, we require that you go through premarital counseling. Not because we're trying to keep you from getting married. We're trying to prepare you for it. We want you to get married, but we want you to know what you're getting into because it's the second most important decision that you will ever make in your life. Following Jesus is the first. But who you say yes to spend the rest of your life with is the second most important decision. And so it's incredibly important that we take time to look at this because people even today are still taking a very flippant approach to marriage. And that's why you see the divorce rate as high as it is. It's between 30, I mean 45 and 50% still of marriages that don't work. Um, I read a statistic to you, I think the first week, that said there's, this is from 2022, that there's a divorce in the U.S. every 42 seconds. I mean, if you were to average that out, that's how easy it is to get out of that relationship. So we have minimized the 
seriousness of marriage. And I just want to say this. If you have been divorced, if you've come through a divorce or the victim of a divorce, there is no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this message is not to bring condemnation to you or shame to you or to make you feel bad or anything like that. In fact, we have divorce care here for people who have gone through something like that to help your heart be healed. And and if you ever want to get married again, we want to help you for that. But I want you to know the enemy is the one that brings shame, not God. And so I want you to listen through the lens of what the scripture says for your heart and for the future, whether you ever want to get married again or not. But we need to talk about the seriousness and the importance of marriage, even in the church. Because the scripture says, Hebrews 13, 4, it says that let marriage be held in honor among all. Not just those who are married, all of us should hold marriage in high honor. Honor means to put weight on or to value or to hold up. So we all, whether married or not, have to hold the marriages in this church among high honor, which means we got to put a weight on it. We got to value it. Why? Because it's holy. It is what God set up as a holy institution on this earth. And the reason the culture doesn't is because they take such a flippant approach to marriage with a contractual view of it, meaning that as soon as I'm not getting what I want out of this, I'm moving on to someone else who will hopefully give me what I want out of it. That's what contracts are. You know, your marriage is more than the certificate that you sign at the end of your wedding, right? It's not just a piece of paper. It's a holy covenant with God. And there's this difference we have to understand between the contractual approach to marriage and the covenant approach to marriage. Because a contract is based on mutual distrust, while a covenant is based on mutual commitment. And if you enter into a marriage with a contract view of it, you're already looking for loopholes to get out of it. That's what contracts are written like. Like, if you don't uphold your end of the bargain, I can leave. And that's why people have prenups today. And, and I, I mean, I'm not a fan of prenups. You know, I realize people are trying to protect their stuff. But if you have a prenup before you get married, you're already saying this isn't going to work out. And when it doesn't work out, I want to make sure I have everything that I need. While a covenant is based on mutual commitment made with no loopholes to try to get out, but it's made based on a choice to say, I am staying in this. It's a covenant relationship. In the scripture, when it talks about marriage and it talks about covenant, it reveals it to be way more than we've made it out to be in our culture today. In fact, I want to look at the scripture. And if you want to look at who was the strongest on marriage in the Bible, then you need to look at the words of Jesus. He was the strongest on marriage. In Matthew 19, there's an area where the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus and they ask him, can a man just get a divorce from his wife for any reason? And uh, he answers it by saying this in verse four. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? He's like, let's go back to what the Bible says. And he goes back to Genesis. He says, they record it from the beginning that God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus is making it as clear as possible here because the enemy is the author of confusion and he has brought a lot of confusion into what a marriage is today. That's why Jesus makes it clear that that from the beginning, God made them male and female. No confusion. Many people are confused even about who they are today. This is the enemy's plan to confuse you about who you are. And he says, this this is who I created. And when they're joined together in a marriage, it is one man with one woman before God 
for life. That is what marriage is. It is a covenant between one man and one woman before God for life. That's the way God intended it from the beginning. He clears up the confusion for us if we'll just go back to his word. But still today, there's a lot of mystery around it and confusion, even in the church, around what a marriage should be and, and who's supposed to be married and should it last. And Well, the scripture says right here, let no one split apart what God has joined together. That's God's best for marriage. In fact, this is why our wedding vows, even today, among people who aren't even followers of Jesus, will say things like, until death do us part, in richer and for poorer, right? For better or for worse, in sickness or in health. And then they finish with what I already mentioned, until death do us part, meaning that there should be nothing on this earth besides death that was meant to separate us. But humans... We have a tendency to be light on commitment and heavy on self-gratification. We have a tendency to look out just for us and not the relationship together. We have a tendency to elevate happiness over the holiness that marriage was intended to be that is required for marriage to work. And the reason this is so important and we need to look at this today is because how you view marriage will change how you approach relationships. How you view marriage will determine whether you're in it to make it last or whether you're looking for a way out, whether you leave the back door open in case something better comes along or you leave the back door open in case they don't uphold their end of the bargain. You're, it depends on how you view it as a covenant or a contract. And if you see marriage as a holy covenant before God with your spouse, you will close the back door to that relationship. You will look for a way to stay. And the picture of marriage and the picture of covenant really matters because God created marriage to be much more than we've made it out to be. He created marriage to be much more than just to help us not feel lonely on this earth. He created marriage to be much more than something that just satisfies our needs or urges in this life. He created it to be a very profound picture that we're going to look at today. So I want to take some time and look at that. And I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5. We've looked at Ephesians 5 a little bit already, but Ephesians 5 is one of the marriage chapters in the Bible that paints this picture so beautifully. Paul is writing here, and he quotes in verse 31 the same thing that Jesus quoted. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And then he says, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Marriage reveals the mystery. And this makes sense why Satan is in an all-out attack on marriage today. That's why he's trying to bring confusion to what marriage is. That's why he's attacking couples so they don't stay together. He is working so hard to break up marriages because if the covenant of marriage can be broken and minimized and the picture can be distorted, then the covenant relationship we're supposed to have with Jesus and the picture of that can be broken and minimized and distorted. That's why he hates marriage because it reveals the picture. And if you are married, you need to know today that your marriage was meant to illustrate Christ's love for his church. It's supposed to be a picture on this earth of how much Jesus loves his church. That's a heavy weight, but that is the mystery here. So to get a revelation of our relationship with God, we have to have a revelation of marriage. 
And if you read the scriptures from the very beginning to the, to the end, marriage is held in high regard. The Bible starts with a marriage in Genesis when Adam and Eve come together and are joined together. And the Bible ends with a marriage, with the second coming of Jesus, when the groom returns for his bride. And there's the marriage supper of the lamb, something we all look forward to. And all through the middle, there's a picture here of marriage and a picture here of covenant. And this is why it's so important that we study it, that we work on it, and that we understand what it's meant to be because it reveals the picture. So in the Old Testament, there was covenants were made between people and covenants were serious. They they were never meant to be broken. Even God made covenant with man. And when they would make this covenant, they would sacrifice an animal, normally a bull or something, and they would cut the bull in half and they would separate it. It was very bloody. And then the two people making the covenant would walk between the animals, separated parts, and say, may what happened to this bull or worse happen to us if we break covenant with each other. That's how serious it was supposed to be. And then in, in the Hebrew culture, when a Hebrew woman would get married on her wedding night without getting too graphic, but a Hebrew woman, when she was a virgin, would get married, when they would come together on their wedding night, there would be a shedding of blood when they consummate the marriage, and it's the picture of the covenant that was being made between them for life. This is the picture of covenant in marriage that is carried over in the New Testament when Jesus himself sacrificed himself where there would be a shedding of blood so that a covenant could be made in a marriage picture of us in him. It's the importance that we see all throughout scripture. Why? Because marriage reveals the mystery of Christ's love for his church. Again, this is why there's that all out attack on marriages today. Why, Satan hates you, of course, because you're made in the image of God, but he hates your marriage even more because it reveals the picture. Why do you think Satan didn't attack Adam until Eve came into the picture? He had all that time he could have shown up and tried to tempt Adam, but he waited until there was a marriage because he hates the picture of marriage. And as you know, if you've read the scripture, Adam failed. He and his wife ate of the fruit. Sin entered in. We had a broken world, so Jesus had to come to fix what was broken. And because Adam failed in his role as, his hus- as a husband, he had to die with his bride. But Jesus came as the second Adam to fulfill his role as our husband, so he died for his bride. And this picture of what Jesus did on the cross reveals to us what it's going to take for marriages to work. So I wanna give you four covenant commitments in marriage that it's going to take for your marriage to work that also mirror our relationship with Jesus. So if you're taking notes today, I'm going to give you four things that will help you, okay? Here's the first one. For your marriage to work, it's going to take a commitment to sacrifice. Remember, covenant always requires a sacrifice. Every instance I gave you from the Old Testament through the New Testament required a sacrifice. And in Ephesians 5, verse 24, Paul says, As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. There's this picture of submission and giving up of life. There's this picture of mutual submission and mutual sacrifice. This is what it takes for marriage to work. Two people mutually submitted to each other and mutually sacrificing for each other. Let me give you some good news today. (laughs) Let me just encourage you. If you're married, for marriage to work, you have to die. (laughs) Not a lot of amens. (laughs) For your marriage to work, 
you have to die. Now, some of you are thinking right now, yeah, I already am dead inside. I feel like it. They have choked the life out of me. Like I feel dead. I got no life anymore. You're supposed to die. Your will is supposed to die. Your attitude is supposed to die. Your ego is supposed to die. Your selfishness is supposed to die. Your pride is supposed to die. You're supposed to die. That's what marriage is. It's two people dying. It's two people colliding and not emerging as two people again, but emerging as one person. That is what marriage is. Listen, the beauty of marriage is not in your ability to hold on to who you were and somehow make it work. The beauty and the mystery of marriage is in our ability to let go of who we were, to let go of our individuality and become united in one person. That's the mystery of marriage. Why does the Bible say then in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Remember, it is a picture of your relationship with Jesus. And just like you can't enter a relationship with Jesus holding on to who you were, you can't enter into marriage holding on to who you were. But when you're in Christ, you become a new person. When you're in marriage, you become a new person. It reveals the mystery of how Christ loves the church. It requires that we die so that we can be resurrected as one. If you want your marriage to work and reveal this picture of how Jesus loves his church, it's going to require sacrifice. The second one is a commitment to unity. It takes a commitment to sacrifice. It takes a commitment to unity. Ephesians 5.31 goes on to say, as the scriptures say, we've already read this part, as a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, the two are united into one. There's a unity there. Not that you become exactly like the other person, but there is a unity of heart. There's a unity of mind. There's a unity that says, I'm not fighting against you anymore. I'm fighting for you and I'm fighting with you to make this thing work. That's what unity is, is it says we're on the same team. I'm fighting for for you now. Okay? Just like we talked about last week when Tandra and I fight. The reason that it's so hard in marriage is because when you fight your spouse, you're fighting you. Because you're one. So if I say something that hurts her, I'm hurting me. Because she is me and I am her. And we're one now. That's why fights always hurt much worse after marriage. Even when you're dating and you disagree and fight, it's not as painful as after marriage. Because you are now united into one. Think about even the picture the way God created man. God created Adam. Then out of Adam came Eve out of his side. And then in marriage, they come into each other and become one again. This is the picture, again, of the two have become one. Just like two metals, okay? When you take iron and you take carbon and you melt those two metals down, they're both great metals by themselves. But when you melt them down and you put them together, they form one stronger metal called steel. This is the same picture in your marriage. Through sacrifice, two people are melted down, they're melded together, and they form one stronger substance. This is what your marriage is supposed to be, a unified marriage. Listen, this is why Satan hates marriage. He, he divides and conquers. If he can separate you from your spouse, he can win in the relationship. But God unites and conquers. And a marriage united is an unstoppable force on this earth. Why? Because it reveals the picture of Jesus and his bride. And when his bride is united with him, it's an unstoppable force on this earth. It reveals the mystery of Christ loving his church. 
And if you want your marriage to work and be this picture, it's going to require sacrifice and it's going to require unity. And the third one is, is it's going to require a commitment to intimacy. Intimacy. Now, when you say intimacy, there's a lot of things we are all thinking. Men are probably thinking one thing. Women are probably thinking another thing. But (laughs) intimacy simply means that there's nothing hidden anymore. You could break that word down. You've probably heard this before. Intimacy means into me you see. And the more intimacy you have, the more you allow the other person to see into who you are on the inside. This is the way it was meant to be from the very beginning. Genesis 2, 25, it says that in the man and the woman, or the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, men, I know we like to use that verse on date night and anniversaries and birthdays and Christmas and whatever else you want to throw it in there for. And I'm not saying you're wrong. Okay. Your boy might've done it a few times. But what I am saying is, that's not what it means, okay? I'm just saying it's not what it means, okay? Let me context, okay? The context of that passage is, this is pre-sin entering in. And because sin had not come in, they, had not, they, were, they laid themselves bare and there was no shame there because they could see into each other. There was nothing hidden. But as soon as sin entered in, what did they do? They covered up, they ran, and they hid. And this is what sin does to your marriage, is it causes you to run from the intimacy you so desperately really want. It causes you to hide from what you're really trying to get. And that's the shame that enters in from the enemy. Remember, God never brings shame. Satan brings shame. And when shame goes in, because of sin, you hide. You hide from God, you hide from your spouse. And the reality is, is if you want your marriage to work, you can't hide things from your spouse. There has to be a level of transparency because everything done in the dark will be brought to the light eventually anyway. And the more transparency that you have in your marriage, the less opportunity there is for sin to hide in the dark. Because that's what sin does. It comes into the secret hidden places. And that's why the scripture says in Ephesians 5, 3, this is not just for married people, but it says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even something that looks like sexual immorality should be entering into your marriage relationship. That's why we always tell people, listen, avoid even the appearance of evil. Even if you don't think you're doing anything wrong, leave no doubt there. That means maybe you can't go to lunch anymore with a coworker of the opposite sex by themselves. You can't go on business trips somewhere with somebody of the opposite sex by themselves. Why? Are you going to do something wrong? I didn't say you were, but you're not even going to allow a hint of sexual immorality to be there. Because all it takes is one thought, one act, one idea that begins to grow in the dark that's hidden. And I promise you, since the advent of social media and technology, it has never been easier for sin to enter into our lives in the secret places. There are apps that hide things. There are messages that can disappear. I mean, it's really dangerous. And this all leads to emotional affairs, pornography, secrecy that eventually leads to physical affairs. That's why your spouse better have an all-access pass to every piece of technology that you have. They should have every password to your social media. If they don't want you to have an app, you don't get that app. They have an all-access pass. Tandra can pick up any one of my devices and look through anything she wants all the time. 
There is nothing hidden from her in that regard. Do I think I'm going to mess up? No, but I'm human, and I know I could if I don't leave it open for everybody to see. In fact, I always tell people, if you slide into my DMs, someone else is already there. There are people who check that. I had people in the first service of an older variety say, what was a DM? It's a direct message. I'm just letting you know it's nothing crazy, you know. Somebody's checking that for me, okay? But that's how people start things. They start conversing with someone from their past. They start getting pictures. They start. Listen, the only DM in my life is a divine marriage with her. That's the only thing that matters, okay? But that, that comes at the cost. The cost of you saying, I'm going to put everything into the light so that there can be nothing hidden. Listen, I don't have time to tell you all the statistics of how social media and technology is ruining and destroying marriages, but one in seven people contemplate divorce because of their spouse's social media use. In fact, 30 to 40% of divorces have social media of some form listed as a reason for divorce. It's a starter that takes you to place. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying unprotected, it's bad. Like if you hide stuff in it, it's not good. So you got to have this level of transparency and level of purity for you to have intimacy. In fact, you could say it this way, purity in your marriage determines the intimacy of your marriage. If you want intimacy in your marriage, there has to be purity in your marriage because your marriage was meant to be a holy covenant before God with your spouse. The three of you together, the Bible says a threefold cord is not easily broken. That is that picture. It is holy and set apart. Is some of it sound extreme to the world? Yeah. But do you want your marriage to work? Do you want there to be purity there? Do you want there to be intimacy there? Because when you don't have purity, you can't have real intimacy. And as I was thinking about it this week, much of what we go after that's impure, when impurity enters, it's a cheap substitute for the real intimacy that we desire, that God created to be there in a godly covenant marriage. God put the desire there and we try to find it in something else to substitute it. And it's, it's normally some level of sin that we're trying to substitute what God designed for us to have in the container of a godly, healthy marriage. There's got to be purity for you to have intimacy. So the question for us today when it comes to this is, have unholy things crept into what God designed to be a holy covenant? By the way, your relationship with Jesus is a holy covenant. And God desires purity there too, where there's nothing hidden from him. He wants that intimate relationship with you, just like you want an intimate relationship with your spouse because marriage reveals the mystery of how much Christ loves his church. It's the picture on this earth that we have. So it's gonna require a commitment to intimacy. And the fourth and the last one is a commitment to endless love. Yeah, I know that was the song today but a commitment to endless love. What does that mean? What is endless love? Well, the Bible gives several different love definitions and the love in 1 Corinthians 13 and the love the way that God loves us in the Greek in the New Testament is the word agape. It's an agape love, which is an unconditional love. It's a love that doesn't set conditions on the other person, that doesn't say, if you do this, then I'll do this. If you hold up your end of the bargain, then I'll love you. No, it's unconditional. Conditional, And this is the way that God has loved us as well. And last week we talked about 1 Corinthians 13, all the different things that love does, that agape love that is patient and kind and it is not envious, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not dishonoring, right? It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. 
This is how you know it's an agape, unconditional love, because if I'm keeping a record of your wrong, then I can choose to not love you based on that wrong. But an unconditional love says, no, I'm always in. I always protect. I always trust. I always hope. I always persevere. And when you love that way, you get the love that never fails. That's what we talked about last week. And a love that never fails is an endless love because it never runs out. But in order to have this kind of love in your marriage, it requires that you change your idea of what love is. You have to shift your thinking from what we've been told about love in our culture, that it's feelings driven, that it's all about us. It's about receiving, not about giving to an agape covenant love that is based on a choice and a commitment that moves you from the puppy love that goes up and down all the time to an agape love that is deep and meaningful and rich and fulfilling. And that's the kind of love you really want anyway, but it only comes on the other side of understanding this covenant agape love. In fact, Paul would say at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, after he's given us this whole definition of what this agape love is, he says in verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke and I thought and I reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. In other words, there's a marker of maturity when you realize that love is not what you thought it was when you were a kid, that it wasn't just about what I get from it. No, Now love is different. It's an action. I understand that this is an unconditional love that I'm going to give. It's a change in our mindset. And maturity in your marriage comes when you change your view on love. Choosing to love regardless of how you feel, whether they deserve it or not, whether today was a good day for them or a bad day for them. It's changing the way we see it. Why? Because we want to show the world how Christ loved his church. He loves us with an unconditional love. When we weren't worthy, when we couldn't deserve it, he said, I still choose to love you. And this is the picture that the world needs to see, that, it, that there is an endless love available that forgives, that gives grace, that serves, that sacrifices. This is the way Christ loves his church. It says, I'm in it forever. I'm not looking for a way out. I'm looking for a way to stay in, whether you deserve it or not. That's the kind of love he has. Now, some of you are thinking right now, (laughs) that's really hard. Who can do this? That's impossible. Maybe I shouldn't even get married. You'd be echoing the same sentiments of Jesus' disciples in Matthew 19. And I would encourage you to go read Matthew 19. It's Again, Jesus is the strongest on marriage, but he says, well, You know, they said, well, Moses told us that we could get a divorce. And he says, yeah, but that was because of the hardness of your heart. It's because your love has grown cold. Because your heart became hard towards the other person. But that wasn't God's best. He said, that wasn't the way that it was from the very beginning. God didn't design it that way. And the disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can do this? And Jesus said, yeah, only those whom God helps. Only those who get the revelation of what marriage was supposed to be. To be, and this is so true for us today. You can't do this without God. And if you want an endless love marriage, you have to receive His endless love first. How can you show the world the picture of this endless love if you've never received this endless love? How can you show the world this picture of a relationship with your bride if you're not in relationship with the groom? You've got to receive that endless love first. And it's from that that you can flow the love out of you to your spouse. The Bible says that God said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. 
It will never run out. In Ephesians 3, it talks about the kind of love that he has for us, that we, that we need to try to understand the breadth, the width, the height, the depth of his love for us. We'll never fully understand it this side of heaven, but he loves us unconditionally. And he says, this is how I've called you to love your spouse so that they get the picture of how Christ loves his church. And I want to encourage you today, you can have an endless love marriage. You can. You won't have a perfect marriage, so get that out of your mind. But you can't have an endless love marriage when you commit to do it God's way. When you say, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to give that covenant relationship the way that God desires us to give it. I'm going to give you some hope today because I know that many people find themselves in a place of hopelessness. and It feels like this is difficult. Maybe you feel like your marriage is dead. Maybe you feel like it, it, it seems hopeless when you look into this relationship, but your marriage can be renewed. It can be healed. It can be restored. It can be rejuvenated. Things that were dead can be brought back to life because that's the kind of God that we serve. And it all starts with saying, I'm going to receive that love today so I can give that love. And I want to encourage you in one other thing. You're not in this alone. Remember, let marriage be held in honor among all. We're in this with you. We're here to pray for you. We're here to support you. We're here to fight with you. That's why on your vows when you get married, what does you say? Before God and these witnesses. We're witnesses today to this marriage. We're here to say, hey, remember your vows. We're going to fight with you. We're going to pray for you. We'll give you marriage counseling. We want your marriage to work so that the world can see this beautiful, powerful picture of how no matter what this life brings, God loves you. It's the picture. Amen. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to invite my wife to join me. And If you're with your spouse, you can grab them by the hand, put your arm around them. I want to pray for all of us. I believe the Holy Spirit can speak many different things to us. Whether you're married or not, I believe he's speaking to you some things. And let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Would you bow your heads with us? Lord, we thank you, God, for setting up this institution on earth to reveal your love for us, God. And I pray for every marriage first today here, Lord. Every marriage, God, that is in a, in a place of hurt, a place of struggle, a place of pain, God, I pray you'd bring healing and restoration to these marriages, God. I pray for the strength, God, of the marriages in this church, Lord, that they would only grow stronger as we commit to do these things today, God, as we commit to sacrifice and to become one together and and to commit to unity, God, in our hearts and our minds and to fight for each other. I pray for the strength of marriages, God. I pray for broken hearts to be healed. I pray for relationships to be restored today, God. I pray, God, for the courage for those who you've revealed today that there's something hidden that there's some, some sin issue that's hidden private, God. Maybe it's not even sin, but maybe it's the beginning. And maybe today you're trying to save a marriage by saying, get it into the light. I pray for the courage to do that, God. I pray for the courage for those you're speaking to, to say, hey, I need to step up and tell someone about this. I need to tell my spouse about this. And I pray for grace in that spouse to forgive, and to bring healing to that marriage, God, to bring the intimacy they so desire, God. And even in our relationship with you, maybe God revealed to you today there's an area you've been hiding from him and you've been hiding from others and it's keeping you at a distance from God in your heart and he's saying, let me search your heart. Let me know you. Reveal anything hidden so you can have that pure relationship with God as well. Maybe that is today. Maybe that is what you're doing. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I'd I'd realize that I've never fully gone in with Jesus. I have left the back door open. I 
I haven't fully gone in and said, I'm closing. There is nobody else. There is nothing else. I'm going to serve him forever. Maybe you've chosen, you say, well, I'm a Christian, but I've never really died to myself. And I'm just telling you, that's what it takes. If you haven't died to yourself, I would say you haven't gone all in with Jesus yet. And today you can do that because that's the gospel message is that you die and you're resurrected in him, a new creation. And today that can happen in your life. And so if there's anybody here with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I want to go all in with Jesus. I want to die to myself, to my past, to my desires. And I want to go all in with Jesus today. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. And really, I'm going to ask all of us to pray this together as a just a commitment to our Father in heaven. And I always say this. It's not this prayer that saves you. I'm just leading you and making the declaration with your mouth of what you mean in your heart that you're choosing to follow Jesus from yeah. this point forward. And so let's pray this together. Jesus, I come to you. I give you my heart. I die to my past. I let go of everything before this day. And I choose to follow you. I want to enter into this relationship with you today. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate with those that made that decision today?